We'll be reading from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in your baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins." Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well done. Thank you. Good morning and happy Mother's Day. Uh, let's uh, give a hand to our moms. I love what uh, Jennifer shared about moms. Wasn't that good? Uh, you know, and to have a mom share it. I mean, you're always getting a, a man sharing about moms and what do they know. Uh, so that was, that was so good. And I and, uh, love the part about imperfection. You know, it, it, it seems today like you've got to be perfect or you're out of here. And, uh, and we all have memories of an imperfect mother. Uh, you know, I don't know what the theory is that if one domino goes over, they all have to go over. That's just crazy. If one domino goes over, one domino went over. The other 99 don't have to necessarily go over. And uh, just to celebrate um, our moms and... And, and for moms that are present here, uh, to take the pressure off. You don't have to be perfect, moms. Uh, we're all growing up. Aren't, aren't you glad? There's, there's enough grace here, right? So we do thank you for your role in all of our lives. Uh, well, today is a, a message that uh, if, if you were going to gobble this passage of Scripture that you just heard... Uh, you would have to be like one of those snakes that unhooks its jaw to swallow the pig. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a mouthful. And I read this and I thought, really? Can I teach this whole thing on Mother's Day? Um, this, is, this is a crazy, powerful, deep, rich message. But I think there's a way for us uh, to move quickly through it, for us to uh, understand it, and then for you to circle back around later and, and I think it does apply uh, to Mother's Day because Paul here at the beginning is really kind of behaving like a mom. He's, uh, he's, he's aware that his readers are being challenged by some other philosophies, some other thoughts that are coming in, and we'll get more into that next week. But he's trying to prepare them. So the, the, what he's going to do is share his heart like a mother's heart, and then he's going to uh, let them know that uh, 
yeah, this is happening, but I'm going to take you deeper into the truth so that you can know the counterfeit when it comes. I'm not certain of this, but I'm told that people who uh, are trained to um, discover counterfeit bills and all of that are trained to learn what a real bill looks like. They don't spend all their time looking at counterfeits. They spend their time looking at the real thing. So, uh, and I had a seminary professor that said the same thing, that we don't need to be teaching from the pulpit about everything that's wrong with the world. I think we already are scared spitless, you know, of, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's going on in the world. But I came to this sacred place to find out what's right. And so Paul's going to take us in that direction. And so we read in verse 1 of chapter 2, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not, I have not yet met personally. So Paul has not literally been to this church yet, Colossae. And if you'll remember from a couple of weeks ago, I showed you where Colossae was. It's about 150 miles from the coast, the, the western coast of Turkey. And uh, Turkey at this time, uh, just for your history information, uh, you know, there is no Islam at all. There are no Turks at all. The Turks uh, are way over in, in Euro-Asia, and they didn't come down into Turkey till around 800 A.D., so this area has all been civilized largely by Greeks who have gone into this area. Little tidbit, I love tidbits. Um, for those of you that are Irish, um, there was a, a, a Celtic group that also came down into here and didn't go west, but they settled down in this, uh, this center area. Um, and the book of Galatians, Gaul, was written uh, to that area group. Now, don't you feel better? <laughs> so, Colossae is just about nine miles away from uh, Laodicea. And Laodicea is one of the seven churches that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation. And you can see the cities from each other. And Paul is writing to both groups here where he says, uh, to those at Laodicea and fall for all of you who have not, not met me personally. So Paul now uses this term. I want to draw your attention to it. Contending for you. Contending for you. The Greek word is agonizomai. Agonize is where we get our word from. And it, it has the idea that Paul is agonizing. He's contending it's an athletic term that was used in the Olympics out of Greece. When people would be wrestling or, or running, competing, they would be agonizing to win. And Paul loved that term. He uses it over 10 times in the New Testament to describe his prayer life, to describe his, his pastoral heart, even in his writing. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm contending for your faith, that you don't just start, but you go all the way through. There's a dangerous idea out, and that is the idea that uh, all you do is pray the prayer. Just pray the prayer, and then just live however you darn well please. Just pray the prayer. And I believe in your eternal salvation. But I believe in faith that lasts. I don't believe in half-hearted faith. And so if you bought the ticket, get on the bus. <laughs> there is no point in standing in the bus station waving your tickets. Get on the bus, meaning if you believe in Jesus, believe with your life. Follow him. That's what faith does. It's not lip service, and it's certainly not perfection. 
we're all unperfect people on the bus. In fact, I've seen a few shootouts on the bus. <laughs> so Paul is contending, and he's contending like a mom. Moms, do you, you contend, don't you? The reason I like that term is, is oftentimes people think that grace, that is, that Jesus loves me, with undeserved love and favor that I didn't deserve. I did nothing to earn his love, right? That's what grace is. People think that that creates passivity. There's nothing I can do. Just waiting for heaven. Grace doesn't create passivity. It creates tenacity because we are response-able. We are able to respond and when I see the grace of God for me, I want to chase after it. So Paul doesn't just kick back and say, well, I hope they're going to get to heaven. He's, he's contending for them with a mother's heart. He uses the term in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 29, just the preceding verse, where he says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all energy. Some of you are familiar with the famous verse in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. That's the word, agonizomai. I've finished the race. And even at the end of chapter of Colossians, this very book in chapter 4, he speaks of a man named Epaphras who is carrying this very letter back to the Colossians. And he said, says, he is always wrestling, contending for you in prayer. And I think that's what we do. We don't just pray it once, pray it again. Pray it again. Did you get the answer yet? Pray it again. Pray it again. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a way of life. So it's not passive at all. My mom was that way. She was a contender. I would just simply say it bluntly. She was a kick butt lady. You know, you did uh, all the kids in our neighborhood, and we had a couple dozen. They all feared my mom. Now, she was mo the most gracious of all the moms, but you had no question of whether she was in charge or not. I remember one time there was a little boy named Petey. Now, Peter, bless his heart, actually has come to faith, and we, we connected as adults. Phenomenal, phenomenal young man. But Petey was raised in a home with it, which was rather, uh, there were no rules in his home. And we all knew it. Get away with murder if you went into his house. And so Peter had just received from somebody a rubber knife. Uh, and a rubber knife sounds innocent, and the flimsy blade was fairly innocent, but the hard rubber handle could actually hurt. <laughs> it's like a club. And the knife was about this long, and so he was kind of uh, playing with us, and we were all laughing as kids, and then he gradually started throwing it, and uh, we, we laughed and everything else. And he saw my mother talking to Petey's mother in the driveway, and he looked at my mom, and there was a little bit of unleashed, passive-aggressive behavior here. And he threw it at my mom, and it just hit her on the side of the face. And all of us kids in the yard went quiet. Like, oh my gosh. And we looked at Peter's mom to see what she was going to do. And she did nothing just continued to talk. And so my mom said to his mom, trying to not give all the names away, um, excuse me a moment. And she took off after Peter. Peter saw my mom coming. He ran for his bicycle. He grabbed onto his bicycle to get out of our yard. My mom grabbed him by the waist, picked him up with his bicycle, <laughs> carried him to the sidewalk, and said, P 
Peter, we always love it when you visit. You're welcome to come back when you can learn to behave. And then she came back, stood across from Peter's mom, and said, I'm sorry. Now, what were you saying? <laughs> there was no violence, no name-calling, but there was truth and love. And moms know how to do that. Moms know how to put your, their arm around your shoulder. And my mom did that. She said, I love you, Mark. I love you. And she knew how to put her finger in my chest. <laughs> love and truth. Without truth, love is a marshmallow. And without love, truth can be a club. But the two together... And you see that in Paul's writing. Now, what's he going to say to him? He says three things right off the bat. He says, I want to encourage you. I want you to be united. And I want you to grow. Verse 2. My goal is that you, they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. That's growing in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So first of all, I want them to be encouraged. The word here for encouraged, I think, could be better translated. It has the nuance of being strengthened. Oftentimes in our culture, encouragement means just believe and do whatever you want, honey. They're there. Uh, Paul is trying to strengthen them in, in truth, in, in where they need to be going. And so he says, I want you to be strengthened in your heart. And a clarification here from our culture to his, his culture. In our culture, heart is where the emotions are. You might say to your boss, I'm sorry I wasn't at work on time, but in my heart I was there. <laughs> and, and, you know, you play the heart card, and it's like, whoa, don't, don't argue with the heart card, you know. But in Hebrew thought, the heart is not emotions. The heart is the will. It's what you decide. It's what you want. It's what you'll do. So he says, I want you to be strengthened in your heart, what you intend to do and to be. The second thing is I want you to be united in love. One of the best deterrents for false teaching and false ideas is the unity of the body of Christ. In fact, the word here is literally knit together. Do you know, this may shock you, but do you know that you are intended to live life with other Christians. It's the way Christianity works. The Hans Solo thing, the Davy Crockett thing, the Daniel Boone thing, the I did it my way thing, which is so American. Individualism, and I'm the worst. Uh, I'm so individualistic. I'll defend my individualism to the death. So a lot of us don't wake up thinking we need each other. But that's the way the body of Christ works. A lot of other uh, Latin America, Africa, Asia thinks much more uh, socially than we do in the Western world. So Paul is correcting and he's saying we need to be knitted together in love. And when we're knitted together in love... We actually are protected from false ideas. Think about what's happened over the last two years of pandemics. Pandemic. I mean, everybody has become so opinionated on everything. I mean, we know everything about everything. And we have an opinion about everything. And we've even heard people say, if your church isn't teaching this or your church isn't doing that, you need to find another church. And so people just have gone off. And I've checked it with other pastors around the country. And the joke is, 20% uh, of the people left for another church. 20% of the 
of those other people came to our church. <laughs> and we don't know what happened to the other 20%. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a joke, but it's true. But it, to me, it's the, the saddest thing that Christians would divide because love is a truth. We can't become strong about one truth. This is what I think about masks. This is what I think about uh, vaccines. Or this is what I think about lockdowns. This way. We can't be uh, strong on one truth and be weak on another truth. We have to figure out how to handle two truths together. We got to pat our heads and rub our stomachs at the same time. And so it is with all other doctrines that come in. We have to think about these in a way where we stay strong in love. And one of the arts that we've lost is listening to one, one another. This is what I think. What do you think? Well, kind of challenges me. But am I going to just take my ball and go home, or am I going to hear you and have a dialogue with you. And I'm hoping in the next decade, the church becomes a, be a better model of dialogue, where we say, regardless, these are the things that are central. These are the things that are not central to our faith, but we have different opinions, and these are the things that we be, believe about love, because everything has to be uh, done in love. So Paul says, I want you to be united in love. And then the third thing, and this is the big kicker, is he says, uh, so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding. Now, I went through this sentence over and over not only in the English, but in the Greek, trying to diagram it and put it together and say, whoa, 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 Paul, this is a run-on sentence. What are you saying here? And I think that actually there's some other translations, even though I like the NIV, I think there's other translations that do a better job here. And so let me give you what either the New American Standard or the ESV says about this. Instead of saying, uh, so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding, it, it says to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. And I said, really? Is that in the Greek? Full assurance? Because that's not what the NIV says. It just says complete understanding. And I read it. I read, I said, oh my gosh, the word is right there. Full assurance. So it is actually what's on Paul's heart. He wants the readers to know you have, here it is, listen, full assurance that Christ is enough. Amen. That's big. Because what everybody else is saying is Christ isn't enough. You can feel the pat on your head. It's like, oh, that's a nice little idea, Marky. I like that, you know, but, you know, really. This is the 21st century. Come on, Marky. You know, that's, that really doesn't stand up to this, 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 this. And the person is suggesting instead another idea. Then you could be complete. Then it would be enough. But Paul is resisting that and saying, no, Christ is enough. That to reach all the riches of full assurance. Boy, that is rich. That is a lot of wealth. To go home tonight and know that Christ is enough. I can actually sleep without white noise, knowing Christ is enough. I can actually uh, get a good night's sleep, sleep all the way knowing that if I die tonight, I'm in heaven because Christ is enough. So with this full assurance, he goes on to say, in, uh, in or, let's see, in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Mystery 
in the New Testament is always speaking of that which has been revealed. It was secret, but now the curtain is revealed. So what if you could know all the mystery of Christ? And then watch what it says next. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ who has been revealed to us. In my life, I go treasure hunting. When I'm walking in creation, I go treasure hunting because I know the beauty of the trees and the birds are not just uh, like evolutionary phenom, but they're actually uh, giving me a sense of the artistry of God or hidden all the treasures. When I'm with someone at a party, I was with like seven other people my age the other night at a party, just guys, and I just thought, how did we all even drive ourselves there, you know, it's just like... <laughs> And as I'm listening to the stories of these guys who just are phenomenal followers of Jesus, I thought, oh my gosh, these are hidden treasures that are right below my feet. Uh, when I'm reading books, uh, I, I'm delving into the treasure of how they point back to God and the greatness. Even secular books, they, it's inescapable. Even movies, it's inescapable. I become a treasure hunter where it's not a dualistic life and Jesus is over here and I sing him and praise him for 60 minutes and then I go back over here. My whole life becomes a treasure hunt. Like where is, where is Jesus here? The treasure is always below my feet. I tell you this, Paul says in verse 4, so that you may know that no one may be deceive you, excuse me, deceive you by fine sounding arguments. Now, don't you love what he just said? I told you all this, giving you the real so that you're not deceived by the counterfeit. When that comes with fine sounding arguments. Did you know both Barna Survey Group and USA Today Survey Group came up with the same data that 75% of Gen Z will fall away from the church. 75, those are people raised in the church. And the reason is because they don't feel that their knowledge of God stands up to intellectual skepticism. That's frightening. Absolutely frightening. Now, we, we can't stop the intellectual skepticism that's out there. But we can give our kids the confidence and make them the intellectual skeptics. When someone comes to me with their new idea, I listen, and I always try to build relations, and I never uh, stop the relationship, but I say, let's get together again. But I've learned to say, I doubt that. It's exactly what they do to me. When they, I say Jesus rose from the dead, they say, Really? Come on. Everybody knows that you can't put Jesus in a test tube and replicate that and have somebody get up from the dead. That just doesn't happen. And I, I, I say, well, isn't that kind of the point? Um, if it happened every day, we would we'd have a million messiahs. But uh, it only happened once, and that's why we follow him. It's, and then they share my, their idea. I said, well, I just think, and I always love, I lean in to hear, because it's so wonderful to hear someone on the spot become a theologian. <laughs> Haven't we all done that? I just think, and it, I just think that 
everybody should just believe what they want, do what they want, and in the end, we all go to heaven and it's a big party. And I said, well, I doubt that. What if in the end we all get what we want? I mean, wouldn't that be a free world? Wouldn't that be a just world that everyone gets what they want? Do you want God? Whoa. So, so what is it that you want? I just want more money. What if in the end that's all you get? You die and you go to hell or oblivion or whatever you want to call it and all you have is a pile of money. Wow. What if all I get in the end is me? And there's mirrors all around me. Me, 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 me. What if God is just and he gives us what we want? That is frightening. Part of growing spiritually, I think, is the exercise of good, better, best. Through all of these different... Well, that's kind of a good idea, but is there a better idea? And is there a best idea? And that was my journey as a teenager all the way through 18 of just checking out philosophies and religions, saying, well, that's good, but what about this? But what about... For me to be the intellectual skeptic, on the world rather than feeling intimidated that somehow someone has thought more than I have. So he wants us to be strengthened. And then he closes this section with saying, For though I am absent with you from the body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how disciplined you are and firm in your faith in Christ. Paul saying, I'm with you in spirit is a wonderful idea. He's really saying, my prayers are with you, though I've never been with you. And I can't be with you now, but my prayers are affecting you. I am present with you. Moms, you know that, right? As your kids grow, you can't be with them every moment, everywhere, every day. And it's kind of frightening. But moms, you can be with them all the time through your prayers agonizing, praying for them. So now, Paul moves on, and I need to move on quickly. Uh, you know, I don't know what you're having, but I'm having Cardiff Crack uh, for lunch. Uh, by the way, that's tri-tip and, uh, and uh, chocolate pecan pie and uh, that Jan bakes every, and uh, with JoJo's ice cream, so I do need to move on here. <laughs> So now Paul's going to take us deeper into who Christ is. And he says in verse 6, So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, how did you receive him as Lord? Well, I, I believed in him. Bingo. Just as you received him, now continue to live your lives in him. You started in faith, now continue Every sport teaches follow-through. Golf, oh, that was an okay swing, but you need to follow through. Baseball, follow through. Soccer, follow through. Everything, because the momentum. So just don't start by believing in, but now believe through living in him. And he uses the term rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So your roots go down deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into Christ. If you move beyond Christ, you move too far. We, we grow deeper into him. Uh, in Southern California, we're often accused of having uh, water shortage because we have plants that have root systems that are six inches deep. And we, we love our little 
uh, floral gardens with roses that, or excuse me, other plants that we plant. And I'm just as guilty about that. But if you don't water them every day, they're gone. But if you plant other plants that actually have deeper root systems, you can water it every other day, every third day, so on and so forth. And that's what Paul is describing. You have a deep root system that's going to last the drought. It's going to last the winds. It's going to last through everything and grow up. So what does it mean to have faith? I think this would be a good moment to get our our remote control and push pause and ask ourselves, since this is a church, what is faith? How do you know if you've done it or not? How do you know if you're doing it? Do you take your pulse? Is it an intellectual ascent? Well... I believe, yes. Is it, does, is it connected to my actions, my body? How do, what is faith? So sometimes it's helpful to use another term when we have a term that's become too religious that we don't know what it means anymore. A term like trust. You see, trust sounds a little bit more personal, doesn't it? Like you may say to someone, yeah, I believe you. But you say in the back of your mind, but I don't trust you. Trust is a little more interpersonal. What about letting go? Because many of us that don't trust are like white-knuckled about something. But if you trust someone, you let go. What about the word surrender? I like that one. Because it, it actually has the idea of me relaxing into the arms of somebody else. We exercise faith all the time. Let me just draw your attention to that. Um, even though I seem like I'm going long this morning, I won't because you're trusting me <laughs> that I will be done by a certain hour because you've been here before. You're actually believing that the oxygen level is going to stay the same in this room so you don't pass out. You're actually trusting the chair you're sitting in right now. That one of them is not designed to collapse under your weight. We trust in airplanes. We trust in automobiles that are driving right next to us 80 miles an hour. How's that for trust like all right i am just trusting you mr semi that you are going to stay and there's a lot of trust that goes on in the world so we we do exercise trust all the time faith and so don't give me this it's not intellectual it it's human that's how we live and it's very interpersonal where we trust christianity calls us to trust in the god who made us in the God who sent his son to die for us. When you get married, that's what makes weddings and, and marriage, marriage, so uh, <laughs> wonderful and dangerous, right? Because you're trusting this person who's saying their vows to you that they are going to mean it, not just today, but 20 years from now. So he's calling us to trust in Jesus that same way. Then he says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So when... Intellectual skepticism comes into me because someone says to me, Jesus isn't enough. What happens is I'm actually turning my trust to trust them that what they're saying to me would make my life better. And Paul warns us that it's hollow, it's not substantive, and it's actually deceptive because it can't give you what you want. Now, let me give you just a real simple 
uh, lesson regarding philosophy. Philosophy is wonderful. Everyone does it. Everyone has one. You might even argue that Christianity is a philosophy of sorts. A philosophy, the word just simply means uh, love of knowledge. And philosophy becomes a way of thinking that affects how I live. And this is how I view life. Let me have you see the screen with the sunglasses. This is how I view life. This is my philosophy. I view it this way, and this is how I do life. I was talking to a monk, a Buddhist monk in uh, Bhutan. It sounds exotic, but it, it's true. And, uh, and so he's walking me through this wheel of life. And he points out this turtle, ocean turtle, uh, sea turtle that uh, is coming up to the surface. And I said, what is this saying? And he says, well, this is actually saying that the chance of going to nirvana in one life is the same as this sea turtle coming to the surface. And there's a, uh, an inner tube right there. And his head happens to pop up uh, through the inner tube. Well, having a background in statistics, I said, whoa. I said, how comfortable are you with that? <laughs> and uh, he says, uh, not real. That's why I'm a tour guide. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I said, wow. I walked away thinking, whoa. And how many of us are doing that? Just, well, I just kind of think that so forth. So Paul says it's hollow, it's deceptive. Now what was going on, and we'll read about it next week, is that um, Jews were following Paul who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they said, it's not enough. You've got you to keep the Sabbath, you've got to keep the dietary laws, and you've got to keep the festivals, the three major festivals. And, and so it, the question is, is Jesus enough or not? And you, some of you have what I would call more legalistic, works-oriented backgrounds. It's Christ plus, you got to yada, 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 right? Then on the other hand, the Gnostics, the Greeks were teaching, oh, I don't know, God becoming man? How does that happen? Really? That can't happen. Uh, we can't put our foot trust in this great event. There's got to be other emissaries that we put our trust in, like angels and saints and different things that we got to pray to in order to appease God. And you see how that's played out in society over the last 2,000 years. And Paul is going to argue, he says, Christ is enough. And when I do this thinking, I'm just going to diversify to cover my, my odds. You know how your financial planner says, you need to diversify and have a broader portfolio. So we say, oh, I'm going to have Jesus, but then I'm also going to do this, 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 and I'm also going to believe this, 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 this. What you've actually done is taken your faith from Jesus and spread it out. You can't do that. It is, the reformers were right. It is Christ alone. I can hear the hymn in my mind. And that is where we go deeper and deeper and deeper. Paul is protecting you in your thinking. Our society is saying that Christ is not enough. You need to think this. Christ is not enough. You need to deconstruct. Christ is not enough. You need to build it around this. Christ is not enough. And Paul is bringing us back to this. My mom, bless her heart, she warned us kids, not about heretics, but she warned us about the candy man. She said, if you ever meet the candy man, he is someone that wants to kidnap you and do bad things to you. Do not take candy from... Oh, you had the same mom. 
Do not take candy from strangers. Now, what do you do as a kid? It's like, yeah, mom, like right, like a stranger is going to come up and, you know, open up his coat and check out all the candy I got, you know. <laughs> so we did the same thing that all, all you did, like whatever. And uh, so one day we rode our bikes over to Montgomery Wards. <laughs> Remember that back in the last century? We called it Monkey Wards. <laughs> and we bought some candy at another store there called Savon's. And we're riding back with bubble gum, chewing our bubble gum. And this maroon Cadillac that was like 10 years old comes pulling up through the parking lot and parks parallel to us. And the guy rolls down his, his window. Remember that? Rolling down <laughs> a window. And he says, hey, kids, you want some candy? <laughs> we froze. In our minds, it's like, it's, it's the candy man. <laughs> so... He just saw us, our knees knocking and looking, and, and he says, I said, do you want some candy? And, and we just stood there shaking. And finally, he looked around nervous, and he threw the candy over the car and sped off. So on the way home, of course, we picked up the candy, <laughs> and... On the way home, my brother and sister, Kurt and Dee, they said, don't eat it. It came from the candy man. <laughs> I said, I'm eating it. <laughs> it's wrapped. So we got home, and we told our mom about the candy man, and she was just, like I had just told her Hitler was, uh, you know what I mean? Because she knew. This is dangerous. There are things floating through the air, thoughts floating through you, that people saying, just believe whatever you feel, whatever you do, whatever you're feeling. It's just, it's a crazy world out there. There is a candy man. And my mom said, did you eat the candy? <laughs> Kurt and Dee shook their heads. And they looked, and then they looked to me. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she said, never even eat the candy from the candy man. She wa washed my mouth out with soap. <laughs> and I can still taste the dial soap in my teeth today. <laughs> she ground it in there. So why? Why should we have absolute trust in Christ? Paul says in verse 9, because, for, because in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Wow! Maybe one of the highest Christological statements in the entire New Testament. He wasn't just kind of a groovy guru that kind of had the Spirit of God on him and kind of did something on the cross and kind of got up but maybe didn't. It's all true, folks. It was God incarnate. I love that word incarnate. We get our word carne asada from it. <laughs> Let me ask you, do you have... Do you kind of eat a carne asada? No, the word is meat. It's, it's, it's flesh. You do it, right? So we don't kind of do the incarnation. It happens. He died on the cross for you. He rose again from the dead. It was God incarnate. Then he says, so you believe because of who he is. And then it says here, he has brought, you have been brought to fullness. The fullness of Christ brings me to the fullness of who he's called me to be. Wow. 
What a thought. And it's actually in the perfect tense, the verb, which means it started already and it's continuing to this day. So that's who he is, friends. Now listen in closing to what he's done. He cut away your old self, bearing it baptism. In him, you were also circumcised, a circumcision, and not performed with human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised, which is referring to baptism, having been buried with him in baptism. So the picture of Christ going into the tomb is the old you. We just baptized 83 people in the Pacific Ocean on Easter Sunday. And I tell people, when, okay, I'm going to take you down. That's a symbol of you being buried with Christ. And when you come up, it's a symbol of you becoming the new you, raised with Christ. I had one guy say, hold me down a long time, Pastor. <laughs> So he says, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in, 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 the working of God who raised Christ from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us of our sins. Amen? Amen. He forgave us of all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle, triumphing over them by the cross. This term, triumphing, is an actual term that everyone in the New Testament era understood. If you look at the screen, you'll see the Arch of Triumph in Rome, which is the Arch of Titus. Titus, the emperor, when he conquered Jerusalem, he had this built. This is 2,000 years old, and he rides in a chariot coming back from war, or his general does, with four horses. It's got to be four horses. Show the next, not that one, the next one. It's got to be four horses in the chariot. And that's what, you see these arches all throughout Europe. It's a symbol that we won. We won. There's even one of these arches in Moscow. And you know how I feel about that. So, he rides through victorious and then his army marches behind him and the crowds watch this and say wow he, they triumphed and then behind that look at the next screen they carry the captives and the booty from the captives and here's the candelabra from the temple of Jerusalem carved forever hopefully not forever but on the uh, the arch of Titus showing that we conquered the Jews Paul uses that to say, this is what Jesus did for you. And he ends by saying, triumphing over them by the cross. So the reader is to picture Jesus riding in the chariot. And you and I, as the martyr, mar marching army behind him, and... The devil, captive. And that has happened on the cross. And that is gradually God is, is doing his work. So what a great picture. So I want to close with this idea, you guys. Um, now that you know the truth, it's time to go treasure hunting. Go deeper into who Christ is and deeper into Christ, what Christ has done for you. Amen? Amen? Let's stand. Father, thank you this day for your truth, for your word. Thank you for our moms and what we're about to celebrate. But thank you especially for Christ in the rich salvation 
that we have in him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want us to just sing this chorus together. As we sang it earlier, uh, just the chorus itself, uh, it just impacted me so much. God bless you, moms. You're very special to all of us. I know this has been a crazy week with the, the talk about laws changing regarding abortion. And now our countries, everybody's running around with their hair on fire again. Um, But the story is very personal to me. Uh, my grandmother, whom I never knew, she died uh, two or three months before I was born. She seemed like she was quite a gal. They talk about her a lot. Their family was very poor. Um, my grandfather was a rascal. And uh, my grandmother had three kids and uh, I, the relatives were supporting the family. And when she became pregnant with the fourth child, they said, that's enough. We are not paying for one more child. And they ordered her to get an abortion, which she did. And she couldn't recover emotionally from it. Finally, after a couple years, the doctor said, you know, I think your only way out is to have another baby. And that was my mother. <laughs> so, I'm one of those guys that, you know, of course, I want people to live. I want babies, I want old people to live. It's, it's just the way it was intended. But I'm also one of those people that has a lot of compassion. And there are people here who have had abortions. There's men here who have contributed your seed to someone who is aborted. So no one he was without sin cast the first stone. So I'm not, I have huge compassion, but I think in terms of should we let people live? I think we should. But I'm not equally one of those that uh, has my hands on my hips uh, I'm someone <laughs> I wouldn't be here so I think it's a picture of the church of course we vote for life but we we have the biggest hearts in the world because uh, I'm the chief of sinners so may you go and appreciate your moms.
She had you. <laughs> amazing, amazing women. And may you be a person that puts all of your faith on Jesus. In him alone. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.